It's Jim Cramer here. You're listening to the opening bell of CNBC's Squawk on the Street. Don't miss a minute of the action. Good Tuesday morning. Welcome to Squawk on the Street. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Jim Cramer, David Faber at Post 9 of the New York Stock Exchange. Pre-markets green as the bulls try to put an end to five straight days of S&P losses. Uh, yields are stabilizing, which helps, along with some solid earnings and raised guidance from a bunch of old-line industrials, 3M, Coke, Verizon, and GE. Our roadmap begins with that slew of corporate results. In addition to that, GM, uh, 3M, among the names crossing the tape, Microsoft and Alphabet, of course, tonight. Plus, we're also... Uh Watching Jamie Dimon, he called out Central Bank saying they've been, quote, 100% dead wrong. And we're keeping an eye on the chip stocks. NVIDIA and AMD reportedly planning to launch an ARM PC chip perhaps as soon as 2025. That did pressure shares of Intel late in the day yesterday. Carl? Let's begin with the markets, though, and the industrial earnings parade, Jim. I was trying to think which one of these would interest you the most. I'm guessing GE. Yeah, and it is, because what happened is, is Larry Culp finished the uh, wind uh, and, let's say, power business uh, much better than I thought. So, therefore, the spinoff is going to look good. There would always been a concern that maybe that business was just going to be a dud, that it was never, ever going to be a growth business. Instead, it sounds like it's going to be the ESG uh, business of choice for people. And, David... Anyone who thought that the, uh, let's say, the long on uh, money, short on time travel situation is over and thinks that there isn't great aircraft demand, wrong. GE and RTX proved that the demand for planes is probably about as great a secular story out there. Yeah. Uh, GE Aerospace now expects low 20% organic revenue growth. That's up from the high teens. Uh, free cash flow as well, they say, is going to uh, trend, and this is the quote, even better year over year. Um, and then company-wide, then you get a kind of a low, yeah. what is it, low teens growth of revenue, which is not bad, and you got a lot of estimates that are moving up here. And the journey's result. over in terms of a, qu- a company that is what it looks like. It's just earnings per share, it's orders, it's terrific. It took Culp a long time uh, by his own admission, but it's clean. The stock deserves to be higher. And let's throw in RTX as part of the aerospace trade. It turns out that RTX does have a pulse. Uh, it is alive and uh, thriving. And that is aerospace and industrial the defense business. But aerospace is the start of the day, not just GE. Accelerated buyback over there, 10% uh, gain. I think we're going to hear from Hayes to this morning. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, one of the things that, that's great about uh, Greg is, is that he puts his money where his mouth is. He thought it was a travesty that the stock lost $30 billion on a $3 billion charge, uh, and he's taking advantage of it. Uh, when we speak to him, there's an element of candor to Greg Hayes that I think other companies, even in aerospace, David Benacci, uh, um, j- don't, don't really have. No, we've always, we've always admired or appreciated his candor and looking forward to speaking to him a bit later in the show uh, as well. Um, it's not as though they still don't have that engine issue. They do. They do. They're but moving through it. The stock, as you see, of course, got crushed in part on that. Oh, but it is no. now making up for, for some of that. Not quite back to where it was prior, but certainly a good day seems to be at hand. Well, then maybe RTX. we can say it's an old line day. I mean, Verizon was a little better. Verizon, We're talking GE, about- RTX, uh, Coca-Cola. I mean, I'm, all these stocks are going to be up this morning. It's like, I don't know, 2000 and- Six? I mean, when's the last time you saw that stock up? Uh, Verizon, I didn't think. I thought they said, I thought there was a law in the market. Verizon's not allowed to go up. Yeah, it was like Camelot. Reverse Camelot. 7% yield. It's going to be down a little bit today. I mean, I have to tell you, Carl. Better than expected numbers. Free cash flow goes up at Verizon. These companies are not uh, Uh, enterprise software. 
They are companies that, in many cases, and I'm, we're going to get to 3M. I know you've got 3M. I actually regret that I'm not in that hour with uh, Mike Roman because I think 3M put together a terrific quarter. Now, some of these companies we're actually cheering for. I mean, did you not want Mike Roman uh, to do well? I think that Jim Fitterling, in the end, that Dow Chemical is not going to be as bad as what the headline numbers were because these companies generate a huge amount of cash. Uh, and what's amazing to me is, is that none of them is falling into the trap of, well, the Fed do this and I'm covering my bond short. Uh, no, they're just making money like they used to. And proud of these companies. Interesting. So is, this the, is, it, is it filling the gap uh, X fang? I think it is because these companies are selling at radical low multiples. You know, when you speak to, to James Quincy, you know, Coca-Cola is one of those companies. How did it get to where it did? How did it get that low? And the answer is, is that there's been multiple shrinkage every single day. And it, the multiple shrinkage may not end, but because we have a, a, we have a bond day that's tame, you see how companies can do. We're going to hear from James Quincy also in the 10. He's at the light. Uh, and we finally got some volume up two, mm-hmm. even with pricing up nine. Uh, I know. He's also got share take, and they still have some supply issues. But, uh, David, when you make a diet drink and you ask James Quincy about, well, how bad, you know, how's this GLP-1? He reminds you that they make a diet drink. Right. I think some of the question is simply in people's capacity to actually drink as much as they had previously or imbibe. Well, don't or they just they take have to it drink? In. I don't people drink it's like agree I don't right. know they're not um, they're well, not necessarily fattening so well, I, I maybe actually people asked. will continue to drink them and or people right. who are not having GLP ones are not going to be drinking well, not I, I don't know you saw that Katie Ubrey Morgan Stanley says you know, we had there's like a bad last three four days of subs of prescriptions mm-hmm. for GLP I missed that yeah three, like maybe you mean people days. weren't storming the the, uh, the Wagovi truck I don't know no Come there's on. still no Lily truck no, well, there's no Manjaro is not approved for weight loss, so they well, can't just, roll out the truck for it. Well, they can't. I just think that there, this is a day where you don't have to talk about GLP ones, even though someone did come out today and say, you know, the hundred billion market. Uh, I mean, Nvidia and GLP they trade together. Well, given what Bitcoin's doing today oh, on the hopes oh, of this ETF, geez. I mean, the desks are talking about looking for movement and high momentum names like Nvidia, like Tesla even uh, coin and, and, of course, Bitcoin itself. Well, I mean, that would, that would mean that everything's going to do well today except for Intel. And I, I'm not so sure that, uh, that we should. We are oversold. There's a, a palpable level of gloom. We, look, I still think that when Amazon reports, that's going to be the determinant. Mark Mahaney yes. uh, did, uh, gives you that triple trough Amazon story, greatest story ever told kind of thing. Ooh, that's a bad chart. I like Amazon very much. I like Alphabet very much. But, you know, the other than Nucor, Nucor is the only company that didn't deliver today. And I think Nucor is still doing well. They um, did cut the guides. GM also, let's not forget. Yeah, but I don't. Comes in. What? What's the problem? Well, because what is, gee, I don't know. This guy, Sean Fain's in charge. He strikes a plan at will. What does he like get up and say, let's take that one out? Uh, GM does pull their guide uh, for the full yeah. year on uncertainties surrounding the strike. Uh, CFO is on Squawk today. Uh, Barra says they will delay uh, the EVs in the Chevy Equinox uh. and the GMC Sierra EV by a few months. Well, I look, I, these companies are hostage, and no one really wants to admit that they're hostage because it does make it, if you're on Wall Street, you say, ah, oh, now I know why they sell at five times earnings, <clears throat> because there's this guy named Fain, and he's more powerful than they are. Losing, what, 200 million so far in the third quarter, 600 million in the fourth quarter so far. 
And they keep saying we're close. So 200. Maybe they are closer. Close you to would what? hope they would be getting closer. Right. Um, that said, in and of itself, it was a pretty strong quarter from GM, wasn't yes, it? Yes, yes. But I'm just saying that when you speak to a lot of these companies, when you speak to them, I don't know if we're speaking to Fiddling today, but I mean, they do a lot of no, order. Not. It's um, just not clear that like, they build a lot of they build a lot of inventory. They're selling down the inventory. What happens when they're done? Right, right. You also mentioned yesterday in the conversation we had with Mike Worth uh, that perhaps there's a bit of a diminution in demand for EVs. They seem to be indicating that as well in terms yes. of at least they still think they're going to or they have a plan to sell a million be, uh, beginning in 2025. But they've pulled back a bit in terms of timing and, uh, and ramping to that level. Well, I think that it's going to take California, Carl, to say, all right, uh, we're going to make it so that there, are, there can only be EVs in 2032. Uh, because right now, the EV momentum is definitely stalled. Uh, and what's interesting is we always felt that it would stall if gasoline... But if gasoline went up a lot, it would reignite. This is the time when gasoline's going up and it's not reignited. So I don't know. I, I, I keep going back to, to Musk's uh, a call. There was a bit of a cyanide tablet to that thing. Yeah, it was definitely. Uh, there it is. Yesterday, Tesla was down, but it was looking up. Uh, again, let me. Uh, GM said it's moderating the pace of EV production in right. North America to, in part, protect pricing adjust to slower near-term growth in demand. And again, they do expect still to exit 2025 with annual EV capacity of a million units. But that's, they are, well, you just heard it. Their demand apparently is perhaps slowing. If I were running Ford, which I'm not, I would make it so that it's time to go hybrid and say, listen, we're making a huge commitment to to the environment by we're putting our money toward hybrid. And when the battery money comes totally from the government, and we know that we're in charge of batteries, not Sean Fain. Until then, we are going to go all in hybrid, which is incredibly lucrative, and that would be a reason why my travel trust owns Ford, and I'm not going to be Boeing in this one. <laughs> of course, uh, it's been a few days now since some of the wires suggested that GM was moving toward a tentative agreement with the yeah. union. That was the headline on Friday. Mary Barr did talk about the most recent offer on the conference call. The current offer is the most significant that GM has ever proposed to the UAW. They've demanded a record contract, and that's exactly what we've offered for weeks now. A historic contract with record wages that have increases that are substantial, record job security, and world-class health care. It's an offer that rewards our team members but does not put the company and their jobs at risk. Accepting unsustainably high costs that would put our future and the GM team members' job at risk is simply something that I will not do. Of course, the reporting around the most recent offer, Jim, was that by the end of the contract offer, the majority would make 40 39 an hour, roughly 84 right. grand a year. Well, uh, Ford's proposal, actually, uh, I can see that it adds up to 100000 a year. And uh, 100000 uh, look, should everybody make a lot of money? Absolutely. Sean Fain, some news reports say he's making up to 400000 That's okay, too, because given the fact David's CEO's, Yep. This is where Ronald Reagan was unbelievably good. He always said the issue in America, work, in, in the American corporate background, is that the workers make so much less than the CEOs. So, I mean, in that sense, I don't want to be too hard on fame. He's trying well, to. Although he did famously the air traffic controller strike, remember? Well, the, the government work. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, so that, 
and he also was the moment. But you want to go back? Okay, he also was the voiceover for 20 Mule Team Borax. I'm just saying that there was a that if you go over, I'm just saying irrelevant facts. If you go over and speak to Senator Warren in Massachusetts, she will remind you and read to you a speech that sounds like Senator Warren, but was Ronald Reagan. The gap in between CEO pay and worker pay is not talked about enough. And then again, I think $100,000 is a good job if it you're is. working at a port plant 35 hours. Well, uh, given this parade of earnings today, the CGM shares perhaps turning down when we opened about Yeah, well, I told him. Yeah, that makes sense. Nonetheless, I mean, you know, Robert Hum, our... Uh, He's good. Yeah, he is good. Um, higher pricing continues to give companies a boost. He's citing Coca-Cola, Sherwin-Williams, Kimberly-Clark, all in part benefiting from price hikes that seem to be sticking. Uh, even 3M said higher selling prices were a factor in that strong performance. Coca-Cola the most. I mean, are, are we seeing a reflection of still of what is a strong economy in all these numbers? And is there going to be any sort of a revaluation in terms of the broader market, given the earnings we're getting? Well, I think that uh, you know, Procter & Gamble last week was the only company just said, listen, our brand's powerful enough. Uh, today, we didn't get that. We have a lot of companies to say we can put through inflationary. But I think we're near the end of that, frankly. And near the end, because the raw costs... Uh, aren't going up. It's more uh, individual, different, you know, some labor situations. And fuel. That's an impressive. Fuel's a bummer. That's an impressive. Look at those companies. Free market I remember chart there. My father loved those companies. Except for 9X. We had Verizon. I mean, again, the Dow is RTX statistically was. irrelevant index. Yeah. But nonetheless, Collins, those companies are not. Collins. That was goodbye by me. Remember you said it was beachfront property? Hayes is very quotable. Glad he's on. There's plenty more where that came from. We'll get to those in a little bit. First, though, let's get to the Middle East this morning. Hamas, as you may know, has released two more hostages, and the U.S. is advising Israel to delay a ground invasion of Gaza. NBC's Jay Gray is live this morning once again from Tel Aviv. Morning, Jay. Yeah, good morning, Carlin. We've heard from one of those hostages, an 85-year-old grandmother, speaking less than 24 hours after she was released. Let's work through some of this. First of all, we saw her shaking hands with her captors before being turned over to Israeli soldiers. When she talked about her time in captivity, here's what she said. Uh, she said she was treated well, given food, water, and medicine. She did say that she saw the network of tunnels in Gaza, described them as spider webs, and then questioned why the Israeli Defense Forces didn't take more seriously warnings uh, three weeks before the attack. She said there was evidence and there was talk about these attacks and that she doesn't understand why there weren't Israeli defense teams in place and ready for what happened. So like a lot of people in Israel, uh, they're asking how and why October 7th happened. We know that as far as the hostages are concerned right now, the IDF is, we are told, uh, working through multiple channels of communication right now. And that means WhatsApp, Telegram, Signal, the encrypted messaging uh, services and sending messages to residents in Gaza saying that they will provide protection and compensation for information about the hostages, where they may be, how they are doing, what's going on within Gaza. So they are clearly reaching out to those inside Gaza and saying that they'll protect them, that they will pay them for any key information there. Let's talk a little bit about aid. The Ministry of Health in Gaza saying, and I'm quoting here, there is a complete collapse of health systems in hospitals of Gaza Strip. They are saying that the hospitals are falling apart. That's because they say there is no fuel and no fuel has been brought in. We know to this point, 54 trucks of aid in the last three days have crossed the Rafah border crossing with Israel into Gaza. Food, water, medicine, 
The concern is that's not nearly enough, according to the U.N., about 4% of what they normally see daily moving into Gaza before the war. And as for those hospitals, the ones that are still open, maybe a day of fuel left, Carl. Jay, we'll, uh, we'll come back to you, obviously, often this morning, try to get a sense of what's happening there on this Tuesday. Jay Gray in Tel Aviv. When we come back, Jamie Dimon's harsh words for central banks. Also ahead, as Jim mentioned earlier, don't miss the CEOs of Dow Components, RTX, Coke, and 3M on this busy Earnings Tuesday. We'll get to Danaher, Pulte, Spotify, some calls on Amex and DraftKings when we come back. I'm cautious. I don't think it makes a piece of difference whether rates go up 25 basis points or more. Like zero, none, nada. I think whether the whole curve goes up 100 basis points, you know, I would, I urge people, be prepared for it. I don't know if it's going to happen. When you look at economics, I think people prepare for possibilities and probabilities, not calling one course of action since I've never seen anyone call it. I want to point out that central banks 18 months ago were 100% dead wrong. Okay, so maybe there should be humility about uh, financial forecasting. I, I would be quite cautious about what might happen next so. year. That's Jamie Dimon speaking out about the Fed and central banks during a panel discussion in Riyadh earlier today, Jim, where we also heard from David Solomon and Ray Dalio and some others. Well, look, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with, with Jamie calling the central banks out. Uh, but I do think that the yield curve he could have called out. Yoker was wrong. And I, I think that Jamie is uh, one of, look, he speaks his mind and it's refreshing. But I think that a lot of people in the central bank business looked at the yield curve, David, and they made some decisions based on it because the yield curve has rarely been as dead wrong as this. You don't have the short rates much higher than long rates and not think well, we're going to have recessions, so let's be careful. Right. So I, I don't understand the call out as much as, well, Look at the bank's balance sheets. Almost, you know, look at Bank of America's balance sheets. They have a lot of held maturity. They're going to be fine. But there's just a fine. lot of guys got it wrong. People want to talk about Bank of America a lot for obvious reasons. I think that's a bogus. Loss is an enormous number, but at it's the same time, you're not going to have to realize it. Right. Nobody right. thinks that right. Bank of America is in any danger of any kind. Um, although their net interest margin could get pressured yes. as a result. Yes, and that was part so of the, much like half the, the conference longer end call that they said. put on it. Well, so you know, so much lower interest rates. Wait, do you think Jay Powell's not a humble guy? I don't think Jay wasn't nearly as wrong as I thought. But there is humility. Everyone has humility. A lot of guys got it wrong. I'm just saying that whether you got it wrong, let's look forward. All I'm saying, let's look forward. Done with criticism, let's go forward. Okay. Do you agree with with the possibility that we could be 100 basis points higher across the curve? I think that I do. You do. I do think the 30-year, if if unless they cut rates, the 30-year should go to six, six percent. I don't understand why the 30 years low. I still don't understand given the risk of 30 years. The risk of 30 days. The risk of 30 years is still not reflected in the 5015. Although the 20-year odd, which no one ever quotes this a little bit. Yeah. I just think that. Look, I know that I called out Jamie on that. Where this is one of the most perilous times in decades. Uh, I'm not calling him out on the idea that rates go higher. Pretty solid on the rate side, just at the gloom side. He was a gloomster. I'm not used to Jamie being a gloomster. He's a roll sleeves guy. He's been worried. It's been a he while been since worried. Hurricane has been in the mix. Well, although I do think he also believes we may be underestimating geopolitical risk. He said that a number of times as well. Right. And that may be true. Well, he can change that by just deciding to run for president. See if that happens. But he's he has said previously that while he would like the job, he would never run for it. Well, uh, you know, is his really name, is it, is it Jamie Morgan or is it Jamie Dimon? 
At this point, it's kind of merged. Yeah. The third. <laughs> Jamie Morgan, the third. <laughs> We'll get Kramer's Mad Dash countdown to the opening bell after a short break. Take a look at the pre-market. Uh, we'll get to some other names as well. Uh, as the Dow's benefiting from some of these uh, industrials raising guidance and the VIX still a teenager. Don't go anywhere. We mentioned some of these pre-market gainers. RTX going to be at the top. Was up almost 10% pre-market a while ago. 125x items beats 122. Accelerated buyback. And, of course, Greg Hayes coming up in a few minutes right here on CNBC. Future's still solid here on this Tuesday. We're just getting started. Don't go away. All right, let's, uh, let's get to a mad dash, and then we got an opening bell. A little, uh, less than two minutes. Sure. Yes, what the great conundrum of this era is, I think, we have tremendous housing demand. And, by the way, it's secular. It's, it has to do... Gen, whatever, you can add any letter to it. Pulte Homes this morning comes out, Pulte Group now, and talks about how they have unit backlog at the end of the third quarter was 13,000 homes. David, you're talking about a gigantic increase in demand, 43% net new order increase, and yet they're not building more homes. When you talk to Dow Chemical, Sherwin Williams, they'll call out, yes, of course, housing's weak because of rates. So you've got this weird conundrum. The Fed has raised rates to the point that you would think the price of housing would go down, the demand would go down. It's not, which means that it's an intractable industry. They're building, they're not meeting demand. And at the same time, well, they've made it so that the customer doesn't have as much money because of the of well, rates. monthly cost, of course. Yeah, it's gone so up dramatically. It's not helping. Year. It's not helping, is what I'm saying. What would have helped is if Pulte would make more homes rather than repurchase three point eight million shares. It's a little loud. Let's get the opening bell of the CNBC real-time exchange. At the big board, NCR Atlios and ATM Business celebrating its recent spinoff. At the NASDAQ, Global MoFi Metaverse, a China-based digital realty company celebrating its recent IPO. I can't IPO. think of something we want more than that. Yeah, well, FXI, Jim, uh, new 52-week low yeah. this week. And then a bunch of headlines about Xi meeting with the PBOC in this unprecedented uh, visit. Yeah, missing uh, three-star general. I mean, there's a lot of things going on in China. But one thing that's not going on is a lot of business in the industrial sector. And I think you'll hear that from, from Dow Chemical. I think they're trying to do uh, – look, they've got a problem in residential uh, in, in industrial construction. And it's totally solved that. I'm not sure what they can do. Uh, I, I just don't think I want to make a bet with China yet. It's just not good enough. It's, there's no turn in sight. Uh, and I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that the, not the people, but the government seems to be uncertain about how to be able to do Keynesian economics. They don't know how to do it. And I think it's hurting their whole country. But who am I to run the China? You know, they got 400 million people to be in the middle class. So they're not, it's not like they're don't know how to handle the um, economy. On that note of China uh, and the back and forth, <clears throat> excuse me, between our countries, NVIDIA is out with an 8K just moments ago, specifically discussing that latest ban right. from the U.S. government. And let me just read from it here. It, uh, the stock is up uh, right now. 
uh, updates and corrections, October 18th, applicable to products having a, a total processing performance of 4,800 or more and designed or marketed for data centers is effective immediately, impacting shipments of the companies A100, A800, H100, H800, and L40S products. These licensing requirements were originally to be effective after a 30-day period, um, and now they say, given the strength of demand for the company's products worldwide, does not anticipate the accelerated timing of the licensing requirements will have any near-term meaningful impact on its financial results. Well, we, we came out last week. But it's immediate. Um, we came out last week for the charitable trust for my investment club and said, look, this is a problem. I mean, look, there's no doubt. Like, China is important for their long-term uh, prospects, but I would say the stock was overly bullish this morning on a, a story about how ARM and NVIDIA are making PC chips. That's not what we want. But NVIDIA has always been at the forefront of let's try to figure out how this can be fixed while, of course, obeying the issues. You know, look, Carl, there's tremendous demand for what they have. But you, you know, when you're sending things over to China and suddenly you can't, you're obviously going to have to reconfigure where things are going. There's tremendous demand, but again, I want to come back to what I said to the club. There has to be some resolution to China to make it so that longer term, there is a return to a normalcy for, for semiconductors in order for NVIDIA, NVIDIA to make its out years. I really, you know, look, no one's... Well, we know the, the foreign ministers uh, coming to D.C., going to be having right. a bunch of high-profile meetings. The sense is that that's paving the way for a potential summit with the president and she in San Francisco in November. We'll see. Yeah, I also think that Sullivan has to get involved. I, I think that they've got to have real talks in the way that Kissinger would have talked. Man, Jake Sullivan's got plenty on his plate right well, now. Well, there's, there's time the for make thing. you got to make it so it's not a three-front issue. You can't have to be Ukraine, Middle East, and China. Right. I think that China... Look, I'm, I'm no fan of the, of the government there, but I also recognize that not everything is military, although obviously they militarize a lot of what we give. Uh, again, just to reiterate that 8K no, that just that. came out from NVIDIA, again, they're saying no financial impact. However, well, 30 day those versus, China restrictions immediately as opposed right. to the 30 days originally. Well, what's really clear is, is that our government thinks that this stuff goes right to the PRC and uh, goes right to the PLA most importantly. And there's no denying you need these high-end chips to be able to have a, a strong military-industrial complex, but we can talk about that with, with Greg Hayes. But I also know that people are very excited this morning about NVIDIA teaming up with ARM. I'm not. I, I'm excited about, about all the chips that David just, the cards that David just mentioned, but people are kind of gaga that NVIDIA wants to be into the PC business. But we've always known that ARM, which is their partner, was going to go into that. So there really is no revelation. I thought that people would be far more concerned about NVIDIA partner Cadence not giving a strong forecast last night. That stock was down nine, but now it's up three as people realize that just the, the demand for data center, demand for AI is as strong as ever. It's just that the rhetoric cools. You know, AI and GLP, we got all these, you got GPT and GLP. Yes. Sold. That's it. You're, you're past that already. You're moving I am. on. I'm now talking about the old days. Metal bending, you know, the factories. Soda. So, oh, yeah, or more soda. than ever, soda. Supply chain and soda. I was going back and forth with our friend Phil Lobolo. I'm still hearing supply chain. I thought that we solved supply chain. I thought supply chain was in our past. You said we'd be safe in supply chain. <laughs> You were wrong. Well, if you're, if maybe if you want to come up with something, you still can. Supply chain. Cha look, James Quincy's talking about supply chain when he it is? comes to. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, but I mean, 
like GE comes. Uh, Coke oh. shares are up 3%. Listen, we've got a lot of the old names up, old, so to speak. Okay, okay. Been around a long time. Verizon shares are up over 6%. Again, on a better than expected quarter, simple as that. Revenue up. Um, is that blind squirrel? And 100,000 postpaid net, uh, phone net ads were better than anticipated. Uh, I, I, I have something They raised me. free cash flow guidance to $18 billion from what it had been. I think it was $17 billion. That's right. How about um, a positive CapEx, for Apple? Sort of where it is. Mm-hmm. On the call, Jim, there wasn't really much one way or the other in terms of I-15, iPhone 15 demand yeah, to pick up me. on as a read. Are you, limited, are you ruining my narrative? Are you letting the facts get in the way of my positive Apple story? I, I just, I'm just, I had, I checked the call. We weren't on, I checked the transcript and there was not a lot of. No, but I was surprised they did a lot more not postpaid. Not a lot of color around well, that. I want more postpaid. I wonder if T-Mobile, no, don't go there. No read through to T-Mobile. Um, let's not forget uh, AT&T last week, obviously they a very strong quarter numbers. as well and raised uh, free cash flow guidance significantly. Well, so How's that's two. Harvester? We'll see how T-Mobile does. Are they taking share? Is there something else going on here? Remember, T-Mobile did implement those significant layoffs not I that know. long ago. I know. Um, fixed wireless continues to be an area of growth for Verizon, but that's a limited market. You know, you can only ha- it's where you're underutilizing your capacity in a certain area off your towers and things. But right. eventually, you want to replace. You, you want to have more capacity right. for people using their cell phones and new subscribers. Right. So fixed wireless has a cap on it, but so, they did add a lot. But of, this is uh, look that you, you take it off the you take this one off the table in terms of remember they also was it was worn down by the the story about what could happen you know, the forever the lead, chemicals there the lead cables. I mean AT and T was hit more than that, but that story seems to have disappeared in part because it doesn't seem to have actually been a story. Uh, not all the guidance today is good, Jim. Uh, HCA, uh, a lot of uh, staffing expenses is going to be the S&P laggard. Danaher is lower. Uh, Glowworm, not so great. No. Uh, yeah, it's funny. I, I was hoping for like a kind of a thesis about healthcare that would be good and that HCA could turn around. It's been an abysmal stock. It's usually been a leader. Uh, it, it's obviously not trading with, with UNH, which did have a very good quarter. Uh, I got one that's really exciting. Danaher was the greatest stock for so so long. What's happened? My chapel trust just bought some. Is that a, is a, is that a right good thing? In this case, it was an no, adjusted no, free cash they, flow miss. They also, but they're saying, Thank listen, you. things mean, are troughing. As we know, well, they also and you can even go back. You can go back 20 years. It. I mean, Danaher is one of the great, as you know. I think Danaher will be great again. They did spin off another business. They're buying a new business with a higher multiple. They had some problems in diagnostics. I think they'll work through that. Uh, again, they did not fall off a turnip truck. That's no. a pretty good chart. That is a really good chart. But the last few years have not been, uh, not been particularly good. Danaher, Disney, got a couple of bad ones for the trust. I, talk, I like to talk about the bad ones. You don't well own as Spotify in the trust, right? No. All right. Well, I bet you wish you did today because it is up 7%. Initially, uh, the read actually was kind of negative. Gross margins seemed to oh be gosh, down a bit. Oh, my gosh. She down three. I read the question. Yes. What, what are they selling and then, for? But subscriber growth was very strong. And well, you can see the rebound in, in Spotify shares. Do you want to have um, some other good ones that, I, that the trust doesn't own? I mean, it doesn't own RTX. That, that's a mistake. It should have owned GE. Yeah. What do you want? What do you want from me? By the way, Spotify, that's the first uh, quarterly profit in uh, since 2021. And gross margins beat up a, almost 200 yeah. basis points year on year. I, look, I, I think a lot of us have been trying to figure out why that thing wasn't taken off. And a lot of us, I think, felt that, well, they're not reporting the way that other companies are reporting. In the end, they're just not making any money, but they're clearly making money. Another company that I think is about to have an earnings breakout is DraftKings. Morgan Stanley comes out and says it must be owned. Do you know that this is the first time ever that DraftKings took market share 
over FanDuel. DK had 31% of overall gross gaming revenue. FanDuel had 30%. Uh, and by the way, wagering this year is up 32% over last year, even though fantasy's miserable because of all the injuries. Also, an upgrade from Moffitt today uh, to outperform. That's an inexpensive stock, and I think it should be bought. Uh, the other interesting upgrade was Piper on Amex, Jim. Yes. They go to outperform. Or they go, sorry, they go, they go to neutral. Well, they say yeah, it's trading below the XLF on a 24 multiple, which is very rare well, for it, AXP. You know, the stock was up three yesterday after having a really bad uh, week last week you know Carl they're the spending numbers for the for younger people are insane given the fact that we thought they were worried about student loans the student loan demand it's student loan payment issue I'm not calling it a canard a la what we were just talking about uh, with the wires problem but I am saying that the American Express the younger people are going out more than ever charging more than ever and I'm wondering whether it is that they're working from home and when they're done working from home they just go out to splurge they work from home those people Piper by the way hikes its target one buck from 150 to 151 no, that's, that's how good that's they statement. are that's, that's how they can cut it that close huh? isn't that interesting that is fascinating that's great work there Piper thank uh, you for I think that. it's very very high quality because I'm sure many people were not thinking of owning it, but then with the dollar the extra more. extra dollar, maybe. Yeah. As we've mentioned, RTX among the top gainers on the S&P after that quarterly beat and announcing a $10 billion buyback. Our Morgan Brennan now joins us with a special guest. Morning, Morgan. Good morning, Carl. Yes, joining me now is Greg Hayes, CEO and chairman of RTX on the heels of earnings this morning. Greg, it's good to speak with you. Um, a lot to get to, but I do want to start first uh, with the geopolitical landscape. We've seen this war in Israel erupt in the last couple of weeks, uh, already had seen strong demand for defense. Um, what are you seeing now? Morgan, first of all, thanks for uh, for having us on the show today. Um, look, the, the geopolitical landscape uh, is as muddled as uh, I can remember in the last 30 years. Uh, the fact is there is unprecedented demand for uh, munitions uh, and for defense spending, just generally speaking. And we've seen that already in our business uh, as we ended the quarter with a backlog in our defense business of about $75 billion. And we know there's more to come. The fact is, uh, there is a lot of work to do in terms of ramping up the industrial base uh, to meet this unprecedented demand. Again, the, the war in Ukraine does not end soon. It's unfortunate it continues, but there is going to be a significant need, not just for munitions for the battlefield, but also to replenish the war stocks that we have been providing Ukraine. Uh, the war in uh, uh, Gaza or in Israel. Again, a tragic situation. Uh, it will eventually lead to additional uh, orders, most likely. Uh, our focus right now is how do we support uh, the Israeli Defense Force? Uh, how do we make sure that they have what they need to be able to defend their country? You are one of the co-developers. Raytheon is one of the co-developers of Iron Dome with Rafael in Israel. There's been a lot of focus on it with thousands of rockets being fired. Uh, into the country in the last couple of weeks? Is it working as intended? I think the, the Iron Dome system is an incredibly effective uh, system for intercepting and destroying incoming artillery rounds. In fact, we are just now breaking ground down in Camden, Arkansas, of a new facility uh, such that we can double the production of the Tamir uh, interceptor missiles. It'll take us, unfortunately, about two years to bring production online. But again, we see very strong demand, not just from Israel, but from the U.S., uh, DOD and other partner countries around the world. It is just an incredible system for intercepting short-range munitions. Hey, Greg, Jim Cramer, good to have you back on the show. And 
Uh, I got to tell you, this was an extraordinary quarter. Thanks, Jim. The thing that most intrigued me was you had a $3 billion charge for a particular kind of uh, a problem in an engine. Uh, and then the stock drops $30 billion, uh, 10 times the charge. Is that one of the reasons why you are buying your stock apparently hand over fist with this morning's uh, buyback announcement? You know, Jim, there was a lot of uncertainty when we announced uh, back in July that we had to have an enhanced inspection for the GTF engine because of a what was a, turned out to be a very rare condition where we had some cracks in, uh, in some turbine discs. Um, that uncertainty, I think, obviously drove the, what was a, a, a huge reaction in the, in the stock price, wiping out roughly $35 billion of market cap. I think you know, with today's uh, announcement and, and earnings release, we think we have... Uh, Ring fenced the, the the cost associated with that. Uh, it'll, it'll in total be about six billion. Our half of it with our partners is about three billion. We've taken that charge, and again, the, I think the uncertainty around that whole issue uh, is now behind us. When we well, sat there then and looked at the stock price, it was a no-brainer to go off and do a, a ten billion dollar ASR. We'll retire ten percent of our outstanding shares with this ASR. Well, it did seem to me to believe that because of the problems that Boeing had in trying to figure out, or at least giving us optimism, 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 when we maybe should have gotten pessimism, that you were hurt by that. And, and I just kind of want to try to figure out, you're a former CFO, how do you arrive at the $3 billion number? And are we absolutely certain that we're not going to come up with another billion or two problem with this engine? So, Jim, it's a, it's a great question. So, the three billion, or, again, it was a six billion dollar gross charge. Our partners pick up forty nine percent of that. But what what we have done is we have looked at each of the airlines that are going to be impacted. There's about forty two airlines that are impacted. We've estimated what the cost uh, is going to be to compensate them for the time their airplanes are on the ground. We've estimated what the cost is to do each of these repairs. Uh, and we've estimated all of the additional capital that we're going to need uh, to make sure that we've got the capacity uh, to do all of these inspections. So I think we've, we've had a rigorous, rigorous examination of the cost. And one of the goals that we had in, uh, in coming out with these numbers earlier is we didn't want to surprise people quarter after quarter. We wanted to be transparent. Uh, we wanted to make sure people understood what the issue was and to get it behind us. And I think, again, with today's announcement, we hope that we have answered all those questions and we do not expect surprises. There's still a lot of work to do. We've still got to inspect a bunch of engines. Uh, we're going to be disrupting airline operations for the next uh, couple of years. Uh, so much work to do. But financially, we think we really do have it ring fenced. Yeah, investors definitely taking heart with that, Greg. Uh, whether it is on the commercial side or whether it is on the defense side, and you were talking about replenishing stockpiles and um, and the increased demand you're seeing there uh, across across different countries and, and different requirements uh, for aid right now, what does this mean in terms of supply chain? Are you seeing an easing of that, which has been an issue across the industry for the last couple of years? You know, Morgan, that's a that's a great question. And I would tell you that the electronics shortages that we saw over the last couple of years have, for the most part, been abated. Uh, we don't really see a, a big uh, challenge for electronics. Uh, the challenge remains in some of the uh, more uh, complex uh, machine parts that we have, specifically around some casting parts. Uh, and again, with, you know, with the unprecedented growth that we have seen in terms of the recovery and commercial aftermarket, as well as the military, our suppliers have to be investing along with us to meet this demand. And some of them have, and but not all of them. So again, there's still bottlenecks out there. 
Uh, we're working through that. We've got about 14,000 suppliers. We probably have 600 uh, teams out today working at those suppliers to make sure they have the capacity to meet this demand. But it is a, it's a battle every day. Greg, it's David. I just want to come back to Iron Dome and maybe Patriot as well. Does Israel have enough uh, missiles? I mean, are they going to run out? You know, you mentioned, obviously, the new manufacturing you're trying to do, but that's a ways away. Uh, they're firing an awful lot of these things, given how many rockets are coming in. They are indeed. They're going through uh, these uh, Tamir interceptors at an unprecedented pace. And I know uh, the folks at the Pentagon uh, down the street here have been working closely with the Israelis to make sure that they have the stocks that they need. There's a lot of that coming out of U.S. inventory today. It's the same with the uh, with the GEMTs on the Patriot system. Uh, again, the, these munitions, they're, they're especially on the Patriot, the GEMT is a million-dollar missile, um, and yet you know, you're using them up you know, every single day, whether it's in Ukraine or whether it's uh, in Israel. So uh, DOD is on top of it. Uh, the folks there understand the need to, to make sure that the our allies have what they need, but it is... Uh, it's going to be a challenge if, if this continues. Uh, any idea when it really becomes a challenge? I know that that's probably a hard question to answer, but at the same time, you kind of know what's capable in terms of manufacturing and or what I assume are stockpiles here in the U.S. Yeah, you know, David, I can't really get into the stockpile numbers. I would just tell you that uh, the folks over at, uh, whether it's CENCOM or whether it's uh, um, with uh, the Joint Chiefs of Staff, they're monitoring this daily, and we're in constant contact with them. And uh, again, we will see more orders for this. It's just going to take us some time to fulfill them all. You know, Greg, I want to go back to something that's kind of pretty philosophic about your comments. In, in January 17th of 1961, President Eisenhower warned us in his farewell address about the military-industrial complex and how that was what America was had the, the biggest fear, that we just had this situation where we were just going to build and build and build. Uh, this is it. I mean, we have gotten to the nadir, I think, since the 1961 speech. And I wonder how the hell did that happen? Well, Jim, it's actually pretty simple. If you think about the last 20 years, DOD and the American government has been focused on fighting terrorism. The thought of fighting a ground war in Europe was far from anybody's mind. The thought, the thought of fighting a, a war in the Pacific uh, was always way into the future. And again, as, as those threats have evolved, we haven't evolved as quickly as we needed to in terms of our procurement policy with DOD. And again, we, we just need to focus on what does the uh, warfighter need? What do we need to deter these, uh, these rogue actors out there, whether it's Hamas or whether it's Russia or China? What are we going to do to make sure that we can deter them and, and not have to prosecute a war? And of course, Greg, a key part of this is also being able to keep the U.S. government open and pass policy for the next fiscal year. Uh, clock is ticking here on this continuing resolution. We still don't have a Speaker of the House. How are you preparing for that? And what does that mean in terms of this ability to meet demand moving forward? Yeah, you know, Morgan, that's a, <laughs> that's a tough question to answer. I, I do think the good news is Despite the divisions that we see every day in Congress, there is still strong bipartisan support for defense spending, for making sure that our allies have the munitions that they need. Uh, clearly, if, uh, if the government shuts down in mid-November, uh, that's not great. The good news is it's not really going to impact RTX, right? We're going to continue to to build what, uh, what the warfighter needs every single day. We're going to continue to support our airline customers. Even if we get to December 31 and don't have a budget deal, 
the sequestration that we're talking about is 1%, not 10%, like we saw a decade ago. So uh, it's not a great situation. But I would tell you, as, a, as an essential supplier to the U.S. military, as an essential supplier to commercial aviation, it's not really going to impact us that much. Greg Hayes, CEO and Chairman of RTX, thank you for joining us today. Stock's up 7%. Thank you, thank you Morgan. Thank you, Jim, David. Working our thanks to you, Morgan Brennan. Taking another look at the markets in this early trading. Lost a little ground in the last couple of minutes as the PMIs for the U.S. have come in, but gains of about half a percent for most of the major indices. Ten years still below 4.9, two-year 5.13. We will get an auction uh, today, $51 billion worth. Back in a moment. It's time for Jim and Stop Trading. You know, Halliburton's a conundrum. It's a really great company, but they are talking about completions production. North America not being that good. And this, again, is part and parcel of what happened here. When you have Chevron bu buying Hess and you have Exxon buying Pioneer, uh, you heard what Mike Worth said yesterday, which is that the companies aren't drilling like they used to. And that's hurting Halliburton. Now, I want to come back from the other side and say, after these combinations, you're going to see a lot more drilling. And you, let, let Halliburton come down. But this, this company will do just fine if oil stays at these prices. So might be an opportunity. Uh, Halliburton is historically very conservative. And I think they're being very conservative in their outlook. Yeah. Crude below 85 today. I know, and that's hurting the stock too. SLB had a great quarter. I really think this quarter was every bit as good. Look, I know, look, we used to talk about Alphabet and Amazon, but I just, I, the companies that have been winning have been in the oil patch. That's been the star of this year. There's only, you know, if there is a bull market, it's in oil and gas. So I'm not backing away from it. I think it's doing okay. Although this morning, energy is the only sector in the red. But that's why that. I think yeah. it's an opportunity. Yeah. Uh, how about tonight, Jim? I've got, I, I have barracks. You know, I've got to tell you, can we just say that when you look at what's really moving, another one that I should be saying that is a bull market, Barrick Gold, gold is moving up and it's breaking out. And I think people should have gold. Costco's offering gold. You can buy some it, it, with no markup. And then I have Ron Shake. Now, Ron Shake, people don't remember this, but Panera was the greatest performing restaurant stock of his time. Not Chipotle as much as I like that. Not McDonald's. He has written a book, by the way. I read the book and... Oh, my God. I mean, there's like <laughs> revelations there, just like Ron, revelations on every page. And I can't wait to talk about it. I would do like four segments with the guy. That's how important this He's book good. is. He's good. He's good. And yep. we'll get Chipotle at least on Thursday. Yes. Uh, as this busy and earnings he, week rolls on. He has on. great, uh, obviously, reverence for Chipotle. But Panero is really yeah. one of the great stories. Jim, we'll see you at 6. Thank you. Uh, Mad Money, of course. When we come back, a CEO doubleheader on earnings. Coke's James Quincy and 3M's Mike Roman. When we come back. You've been listening to the opening bell on CNBC's Squawk on the Street. All opinions expressed by the Squawk on the Street participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, or their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information Squawk on the Street participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Squawk on the Street disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Squawk on the Street disclaimer.